Well, good morning, church. Last week. Good morning, church. There you go. Some of the extroverts are going to continue on talking, um, and that's all right. We'll just we'll keep going without them, but that's all right. Bernie, are you done yet? It's almost. That's all right. Just keep going. That's fine. No, I'm good with it. <laughs> Hey, it is so good to be together. This morning, I'm driving uh, in the car with Trish, uh, my wife, and I'm listening to some worship music. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I can get worship music, just it gets me. And I, I just feel a heaviness, and not in a bad way, but uh, a weightiness that's good, that I hope you don't take for granted the opportunity that we have to gather. You see, uh, for centuries, Christ followers have been gathering, whether under persecution, uh, whether in freedom, but they've been gathering. And they gather so that they're reminded of the hope that we have. And you have, every time you gather and enter here at Community Church or other churches, the chance to look face-to-face with someone you're going to spend eternity with. So uh, that might be a good thing or bad thing, kind of hoping heaven may be a big place, I don't know. Uh, but we have this chance to do that, and I hope you don't miss that. And I, I just have a longing to be back. I was out last week, and Bobby did a great job, and we've been in this series called Grace Anatomy. One of the reasons we picked this series, we felt like grace has been a word that's been used and abused. Uh, some of you have used it in the, in the framework of, well, let's say grace, which really isn't the definition uh, that Scripture talks about. Uh, some of you have used it in maybe the way of saying that I've used it, of I'm going to give grace to somebody else. Well, actually, that would be an improper use of it also, because grace is actually getting something you don't deserve. When we say we're giving somebody grace, usually it's what? We're tolerating them, or we should be saying, I'm going to give mercy to someone else, right? Uh, this idea of grace is, is much deeper, and we have felt like this series may be, out of the five years here at Community, Maybe one of the top series that, for us, uh, just in growing in our depth and understanding of what grace is. Uh, just for review, we've talked for the last several weeks, but you can pick this up online, but grace is the unmerited favor of God. Uh, truth be told that, especially in this region of the country, but all over the world, uh, one of the most damaging things to your faith is religion. When you, have, when you begin to punch a card and believe that you can clean yourself up before God or do things that merit favor from God, you've missed what grace is really about. You see, grace is the unmerited favor of God, and we, as we've talked about, grace is Jesus Christ himself. The story in your entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is really a story of God redeeming his lost creation, his people, and it's through him extending an unmerited favor called Jesus and coming to earth. We've been trying to review this and talk about what does this mean and what does it look like. Bobby talked about grace at work when, when we're actually outside of the church building and, and doing real life, right? Monday through Saturday. What does grace look like in a life? And we've been trying to unpack that and using the title of kind of doing some anatomy work and seeing what are the the inward parts of what it means to understand grace. Well, we want to talk uh, this morning a little bit more specifically about grace, and this morning is going to be some heavy lifting, and I want to just pre-warn you, if you are a to-do list person, if you're a person that loves hearing messages and going, I'm going to write down 
some things to do or don't do, uh, don't do that. Uh, because I'm going to talk about grace, and the way we're going to talk about grace this morning is that grace showered into a life will change a life. Grace that begins to be something that we think we can begin to uh, do on our own, that we begin to clean up our lives to look like it's full of grace, we become really more uh, trying to look like Jesus in a different way. Let me ask you a couple questions this morning. First one is, what has grace produced in your life? In other words, what has, if Jesus has entered into your life, if, if you've experienced the fullness of that grace, realizing you did nothing to deserve forgiveness from God through Jesus himself, what has grace produced in your life? Are you different? I used to not like this. In fact, I've had people come up over the years here at Community and saying, man, you've gotten better. And I, I don't, it's probably my own junk, but like, I kind of want to, I wonder how bad I really was um, before. But what are people seeing in you? What has the grace that God offers through his son Jesus, what has it produced in your life? You know, when you love something and when you're passionate about something, it should change you. It should affect every part of how you think and how you live your life. And truly, the greatest gift that we've received is Jesus himself. If that's true, what has this grace produced in your life? Here's another way to answer the question or ask the question. What do you look like or who do you look like? If grace is entered into your life and grace being Jesus, showered into your life, shouldn't we begin to look like Jesus? Shouldn't that expression become where someone just says, wow, you're different, and that difference is you no longer look like yourself. You look and act like Jesus. It's a tall order. Don't you feel it already? All right, Troy, give us the one, two, three, so we look like Jesus. What is it? And, and I think this morning there's a tension. We'll, we'll feel this tension together because I feel it too, is that there's such a need to kind of self-improve and clean up. Remember a couple weeks ago I talked about we, we employ these wrong strategies and we, we try to become you know, well diggers um, looking for some sort of pleasure or satisfaction. We become city builders. What, can I, what kind of project can I do? We become firelighters. What knowledge can I attain to help my feel my self-identity? Or what kind of whitewashing? Do I just create a false wall so nobody knows who I really am? These are all wrong strategies of an inner longing that we have to know Jesus. And when we employ those, we begin to really distort or clog, as Tricia talked about a couple weeks ago, that, that work of grace. When grace comes down, shower through that, it's like coming through the PVC pipe. It's like, it, then it expresses itself. You can't help it. And this morning, I want to I do some heavy lifting. And you're probably, you're going to get kind of a, a 101 course in some basic theology. But I think it's important that we get that. And you're going to get more something what I would call is, is an, a concept of theology that goes from all of Scripture. I won't laser in one passage. If you're a, like a passage junkie and a Bible verse junkie, then you're going to have to like write down some passages, look at them later. I'm going to use a couple different versions of the Bible. That doesn't mean they're wrong versions. It just means some of the language is about a little bit more uh, easy to understand and I think has some powerful impact to in our culture. So I want you to follow with me on this concept of that grace 
models sacrifice. In other words, when grace is showered into a life, when someone says, I'm a Christ follower, the assumption that we make is that they have sat underneath of receiving that unmerited favor of God through Jesus, and that they begin to pour out a life of sacrifice. Reminds me of the little boy who was sitting in the doctor's office with his family and his younger sister, who had just been diagnosed with a a rare blood disease and needed a blood transfusion, and this was the only boy that could actually help his sister. It was a matching blood type. And so the doctor looked to this little boy, as along with his mother and father, and said, "Um, are you willing to give your blood to your sister so that she might live? And they were just asking this boy this question, and he says, "Um, if it's going to save her life, I'll do it. He lays on the table, he takes the IV, and he lays there. And as he lays there, he sees some of the life coming back into his sister, and her, her cheeks get color again. But then for him, as anybody giving blood, he starts to get pale, and he looks over the doctor, he says, exactly when do I die? Because this boy thought, I'm giving my life for my sister. Sacrifice, when we talked this morning about grace model sacrifice, friends, we're not talking about like a little sacrifice. You you know what I'm talking about, right? You're in a relationship with somebody and they're a little bit pushy or they need some, I'm going to sacrifice a little time for this person. I'm going to sacrifice a little bit of help or gift or money. I'm I'm going to do a little sacrifice. When we talk about sacrifice this morning, we're not talking about a little bit here and there, crumbs. We're talking about the idea of a full expression of giving yourself fully. Like this little boy had the impression that he was going to give his full life to his sister. Grace models sacrifice. You see, sacrifice costs. And the, great, the, the cost is great. It's not something that you can afford like, I'll oh, just here and there and I'll be fine. It's the idea that you're giving it all away. Now, this idea is all throughout Scripture. Again, you could pick up, if you don't like what I say this morning, you won't like reading the Bible then because it's all about sacrifice. You look all the way to the beginning, Genesis 8, Noah builds an altar to the Lord, taking some, all, uh, some of the clean animals and clean birds, and he sacrificed burnt offerings. We see this in Leviticus. When you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way it will be accepted on your behalf. When they did these sacrifices, it wasn't like get a bird, slice a wing off, and let, you know, let him see if he can survive the rest of his life with one wing. It wasn't a partial sacrifice. You laid the animal on the altar, and it was fully given away, fully burnt up. A burnt offering meant it was sacrificed, it, the blood was let out, and it was a, an atonement or a price paid for wrong done in God's eyes. In the psalmist, largely written by David, 51, he says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. Often you find in the scriptures that God's talking about brokenness as being a place of a starting point for a life, of of surrender, of complete emptying of oneself. The reason being because now you're open and ready for the grace to come in. A lot of people talk about God and talk about faith and religion. And they never came to the end of themselves. And the idea of Jesus seems really like a good idea. 
and he seems like a nice guy, some good morals, I'll let him invade a part of my life. I'll take a part of Jesus. When we talk about sacrifice, we're talking about the full reception of who Jesus is to a life that you realize you're fully giving back to him, all of it. Friends, why do you think it's difficult for someone to give their life to Christ? Because you're surrendering. You're saying, I'm done. When I was in the Marine Corps, when we first got to boot camp, I remember, and I've talked about this often, but down in San Diego, I remember getting off the bus, and you know, a bunch of us riding the bus had prepared ourselves. We had memorized our general orders. I had shaved my head. I actually had hair back then. Um, but I shaved my head. I was ready for boot camp, you know? And I'll never forget those first two weeks of going, oh my gosh, when they talk about giving yourself away. I remember sitting on the painted footprints, right? And the light came onto the wall and you said, I am about to give my entire life to my country. I'm, gonna, I'm willing to die for my country. Why is it when we talk about our faith that we don't think that way about our faith? Are you willing to die? Are you willing to fully sacrifice the fullness of who you are, that means your pride. That means your self-image. That means your resources. That means your time. It means the fullness of who you are. So when we talk about sacrifice this morning, I want you to get the idea that this is not just a little bit of sacrifice. Paul will later on talk about this in Romans 12. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In other words, I want you to begin to realize that you are on a daily regiment of giving yourself over to Christ. He says an interesting and a morbid phrase, living sacrifice. That's kind of a, a, a morbid phrase in light of what he's talking about. It was crawling up on the altar, being sacrificed, getting off that altar, the next morning crying right back on that altar to be sacrificed again. He says in verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world. What does that mean? It means don't conform to the pattern of the world of saying you should protect yourself or that you're the most important person or your rights and your, you should be equal to everyone else. Don't conform to the pattern of this world that there are, is a pecking order of things you should forgive and things you shouldn't. There are not certain people you love and certain other people you don't love. The pattern of this world says all those are okay in what you should do. He says, be transformed by this renewing of your mind. You know what that is? You need to be like Jesus. If you've received his grace, then you understand what it means to sacrifice like Jesus. He says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so this morning, I, I want us to dive into this idea of sacrifice. And what does that mean for us to do that? So can you feel it already this morning? Uh, we want to figure out how do we fix that, Troy, because I'm a fixer. I'm that way. Hey, aren't there some, I'm a discipline guy, so aren't there some disciplines I can do to, to be a better sacrificing Christian? And this morning, you're going to be frustrated because we're going to get to the end and there's a recognition that you have to go back to being a recipient of this grace. It goes back to grace. In order for us to understand this idea of sacrifice, though, as a, a requirement, not a requirement, but a, a gauge of a sign of someone who's given their life to Jesus, you imitate Christ. 
we, we got to go all the way to Trinity. Now, the Trinity is something that many of us have just thrown out and talked about, but it's this idea of who God is. God, um, three in one. You've heard that phrase, right? Um, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I would be silly and foolish to get up here as a teacher, as someone who went to school for this stuff, to say, hey, I've got the Trinity figured out. I've got this great illustration. It doesn't work. To understand the deity of who God is and that he is three in one, three persons, the fact that he sends Jesus but Jesus is God, I don't get that. I have pictures for it, but that's about it. So God is both Father, Son, but also Spirit. Now, we say that a lot in our church culture, in our church tradition, and I'm going to show you about the, how they model sacrifice, but this symbol actually ends up becoming, it's called the triquetra. It's basically this kind of interwoven knot. Then some pagan cultures used it, but Christians used it for centuries, and it's this idea of three in one, this oneness. Now, the reason I'm starting here, because if we had to look at our model of what it means to to reflect the glory of God, to imitate Christ, we have to go to God himself and this trinity. And you see this all throughout Scripture, that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are working in this beautiful oneness and unison that there's ongoing sacrifice for one another. Jesus himself says to the Father, what in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, not your my will, Father, but yours. He steps aside. The, the Father says at Jesus' baptism, this is my son. He glorifies the son. He steps back and says, I want my son to be glorified. Jesus will later on say, then what? About the Spirit. I am, I'm going to step aside so that one greater than I will come for you. The Spirit. So we see this beautiful, sacrificial kind of unity that's going on in the Scripture. John 1 says this, before time itself was measured, the voice was speaking. I love the, the version of this. This is a Bible called The Voice. And they use, instead of, um, they've been interchanging some of the language, but it's uh, the voice, meaning uh, when we say the word, in the beginning was the word, is the first part of John 1. Um, we think of just words typed on a paper, but it's actually the, the spoken authority of the breath of God that created the entire universe. And so before time itself was measured, the voice was speaking. The voice was and is God. This celestial word remained ever-present with the creator. His speech shaped the entire cosmos. Immersed in the practice of creating, all things that exist were birthed in him. John 10, Jesus will say himself, I and the Father are one, heart and mind. And so we see this modeled all throughout that this trinity models this mutual submission and sacrifice to one another. Now you see this in your Bibles, and I want you to see this, this quick diagram, but I think this is an interesting one. In the Old Testament, who becomes the central part of the trinity that we see most is the Father, God himself. We see in the backdrop, the Son is prophesied, the Messiah. And the Spirit is a little bit in and out there, right? We see that the Spirit is empowering different gifts and, and, and assisting, but it plays kind of a supportive. He plays a supportive role in the Trinity. And then we wait for the Son. In the New Testament, 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels about Jesus, who becomes central there? Jesus himself. Jesus himself becomes central, and what is Jesus always saying? I'm here to glorify my Father in heaven. And I'm only here for a short time for the Spirit in order to come. We then see the shift that the Spirit becomes central. And the Spirit is glorifying whom? The Father and the Son. There, in the essence of the Trinity, and all throughout Scripture, there's this beautiful picture of sacrifice. Now, it doesn't end there. We know that then Jesus, a part of the Trinity, is what? Is, is brought to earth, is sent to earth. Emmanuel, God with us. That's what that means. Second Timothy says he saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. In other words, Jesus came to this earth for you and I. Unmerited favor of God came here. It says the grace was given us in Jesus Christ before the beginning of time, meaning grace had always existed in the beginning of the earth. That trinity, that triune relationship had been, always been there. That grace was available. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who was destroyed, um, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light and through the gospel. And so we see that Jesus' life and death and resurrection is this beautiful model of what? Sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed himself. The Trinity operates this way. Jesus models this for us here on earth. Oops, I'm going backwards now. Uh, also, though, in the church, we're to do this. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 in the message. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. Right there, you should just stop, close your Bible if you're reading it, right? Uh-oh, the bar is going to be way too high, right? Because if you're a doer like me and like the list of things I can try to accomplish, we're in trouble. Because you won't be able to attain it. It says, think of yourselves the way though Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but did not think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of status no matter what um, happened. In other words, sometimes we get privileges, right? Have you had those? You get a certain pass. You get some certain, certain opportunities in life that allow you to have certain privileges. Who... Who else other than Jesus himself had the right to take advantage of those privileges? Jesus did. But he doesn't. I know so many times I like privileges, whether it's a certain parking place, whether it's a certain right. Um, I know at the Packers I get to get in a little bit early and out a little bit early and some things I get to do. I like those privileges. Jesus comes to earth, and even though he could have done those things, he does not claim that. It says... He doesn't claim, claim to any of those advantages. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity, took the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It, isn't that a great line? Even though he became human, he stayed human. In other words, Jesus is tempted 40 days by the evil one, by Satan. Remember the, the evil one saying, hey, show us your deity and power, and he doesn't. He continues to operate and live out a full human life here. Why is this important right now? We're talking about grace modeling sacrifice. We need models. The Trinity models it. Jesus modeled it for us. 
We're to begin to model this way with one another. We're not to have a social status of haves and haves-nots. It says he didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life, then died a selfless, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. In other words, Jesus gave it all. He left it all in the field for athletes in the room. He, he put it all out there. It wasn't a small sacrifice. It was everything. He fully lived that life. And so that's our measure. And so the scripture is full of passages about Christians, you and I, people that gather on Sundays or whatever other day of the week and say that we love Jesus. We've received that grace, that unmerited favor. We're supposed to operate that way with one another. And even though I stand on an elevated platform this morning, when we are all recipients of God's grace, I am an equal with you. I am a sinful man that needed an unmerited grace from the Father. And you do too. And then it allows me to not conform to the pattern of the world and decide who I forgive and who I don't who I will love and who I won't, who I'll give to what I don't. When church doesn't go my way, what I'll decide to, it's not about me anymore. It becomes about him. It becomes about what he did for me. Do you see this? Grace begins to model sacrifice in the church. Ephesians 5 says it this way. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In other words, you're to begin to operate in this sacrificial manner. Now this morning, if you're sitting there and thinking, man, I can start to treat people a little bit better at church, you've missed it. It is only when you recognize the unmerited favor that you've been given, you're overwhelmed with the debt that was paid, that you can help you can't even help it but express and model sacrifice. It's not like we're going to ramp up here at Community Church. Hey, we're going to do a sacrifice seminar. You know, it's going to be eight weeks long. You're going to come out great sacrificial Christians. You know, we're going to give you the one, two, three. You're going to just be excellent in the community. This is the struggle with this. And this is why the faith is difficult for many to step into it. You see, religion's easy, because religion allows me to what? Check a box. Hebrews says it this way, through Jesus then, let us keep offering to God our own sacrifice, the praise of lips that confess his name without ceasing. Let's not neglect what is good and share what we have, for these sacrifices also please God. We're to be on this ongoing, remember I said in the first question, what do you look like? Who do you look like? What should be feeling and looking like in our body, whether here or outside of these walls in this campus, should be a fragrance of sacrifice. Now that sounds disturbing because especially in light of looking at Leviticus and their burning animals. Now we have this great illustration of this plant down here. God forbid that place. The, you know what I'm talking about? What is it called? Sanamax. Yeah. So anybody work for them, I'm sorry, but the fragrant aroma there is just not good. And we know when it gets warm here, right? 
When the cold goes away, that part of 41, you like close off your vents in your vehicle, roll up the windows, and it's a stretch of about two miles. But it reminds me of lives being given. And what should be reminding the world about what is the difference between religion and relationship with Jesus is that there are lives being sacrificed for him. And the pattern of this world is not, I'm just going to get enough to where I have my life that's perfect. I might never have enough money to retire, yet in God's grace in my life, I might still be a great sacrifice in the world I'm in. I may never have the health I desire, but God said I can, by receiving his grace, maybe be this great aroma of sacrifice in the midst of my unhealth. I may never have the family I want, the marriage I want, the kids I want, the job I want. Could the list go on? And this is the beauty of what it looks like to be a Christ follower with grace that expresses itself in sacrifice. So the call to imitate Christ challenges our view of the Christian life. It's a simple truth that has the potential to seriously distort the view for many of us of what it means to be a Christian. We can quickly become taskless Christians that check off our accomplishments on our to-do list. Listen, I'm a very big to-do list guy. I am a task person through and through. I mean, again, this is like a confession, and my wife still loves me for this, but I, schedule, I have to schedule date night. You know, this doesn't, it needs to be a part of, not because, like, Trish is a task. Um, <laughs> But I, I just, I think that way. I operate that way. You know, I, okay, I get, this has to happen in my life. I have to order it that way. When we're talking about this in our faith, though, we can't go that way. It comes down to we can't become people that just have a do and don't list. So that becomes religion. If I go to church on Sunday, I'll do God a favor. I'll sacrifice a little bit of my morning. It could be a good golf morning. I'll give a little bit of my tithe. Read my Bible for 15 minutes in the morning. Pray through my prayer list. You know, isn't God pleased? He, isn't he going to take this fragrant sacrifice, this great sacrifice, God? Or, God, here's my don't list, and I'm going to sacrifice my desires to do these things, but if I don't swear, get drunk, look at porn, and lie. You know, woo, it's a good week. <laughs> but do you see how this gets in, in religion? And nowhere in your Bible is that what Jesus or God himself frames as what it means to know him. To know him means to be broken, emptied, realizing you have an unmerited favor from him in the form of Jesus Christ. So this becomes dangerous for us. Thomas Akempis wrote Imitation of Christ uh, in one of those contemplative writers in the past, and he says, if thou knewest the whole Bible, the sayings of all the philosophers, what should all this profit thee without love and the grace of God? In other words, this morning, we can't really wear the badges and the medals of look what I've done, God. I forgave that person that did that to me. I, I gave a lot last week or months ago or years ago. I've had this lot in my life, and we, we tend to put on medals and think that, God, we've already sacrificed so much. 
When if you think about it and you understand the unmerited favor of God to you and I, I don't know about you, but I sit back and go, how little the sacrifice I've given. It's overwhelming. If you're people that are planners and you think about investments, if you're an investment person this morning and your mind goes of, you know, looking at statistics and, and odds and certain things to, to invest in in life, then I would have you look at your eternity and ask yourself the question, this is the arena, your life in these years, that you're going to be measured on the investment. And the interesting part of this, it won't be your works that God looks for. He's going to say, did you fully receive the unmerited favor I gave you? And as Paul said, did you let it transform your mind first? Because when we start to think about this, doesn't it change everything how we think? When we start to think about God this way and start to receive that grace, then it's, I can forgive anyone. It still hurts. It's still hard. It's still humbling. But I can forgive the person that doesn't deserve forgiveness. Because I have to get out of the way. It's, it's easier for me to let go of preferences here at church for me or things that aren't my way or if, if I don't get the money I want to get or the cabin I want or this I want. All the things don't have to align because I recognize because of what he's given me is enough. In our culture today, we have such a, a culture of consumerism for faith. And we like to buy and pick and choose the things we want about our faith. I'll take this part of Jesus, but I leave this sacrifice stuff alone. You know, don't touch that part of my life. He says it doesn't matter what we know about God. It doesn't matter all the wisdom we could have on the earth. It'll profit us nothing without the full receiving of the grace that God's given us. So we see a great model. We see this model in the Trinity, this idea of sacrifice. We see this model in Jesus' life on earth, uh, living and dying and raising again for us, that full unmerited sacrifice he gave. We see it modeled in the church, or it should be, right? We should be modeling this. This should be an expression of Jesus to us, but Jesus does it for the bride. Now, originally when I started thinking about this topic, weeks and weeks ago, I said, I'm going to make this more of a marriage talk, and I've changed my thoughts and mind on that because it really isn't a marriage message. But we're going to land here. We're going to land here because next week is going to be that grace models submission, both male and female, from the Trinity to Jesus himself on earth to us in the church together. But both sacrifice and submission have their greatest fulfillment on earth for us to see is in a marriage. It has the beautiful, most beautiful, colorful picture for us in a marriage. And so uh, I had a fellow tell me once, you're way too hard on the men in our church. And I said, you're exactly right. Because being male myself recognize of of the failure that we as men in our world today have, have uh, need to assume that responsibility. Because when we look biblically about what it means to receive the grace of Christ and to model sacrifice as men, it looks very different. Let me show you. Ephesians 5, 
from The Voice says it this way, Husbands, you must love your wives so deeply, purely and sacrificially, that we can understand it only when we compare it to the love the anointed one has for his bride and the church. Whoa. In other words, let me rephrase. Guys, we are to love the brides that we committed our lives to. We were just did a wedding, Pete said yesterday. I was, a, I, I was a part of a wedding ceremony. The two came up and uh, the, the doors open, right? And the bride's there. And you could just see it in everybody. And all of us are a wreck because at this moment. And then there's this covenant made. Not, this is not a contract for the state. This is God's idea. God took a rib from Adam and made two from one. And saying, now those two will become one again to illustrate, to illustrate this oneness, this idea of sacrifice and submission and love, this beautiful picture of grace. And so, guys, we're to die so much that people go, they must love Jesus. That guy must love Jesus. Now, ladies, that's not because you're difficult to love, by the way. Don't take that that way. But they should see the model so powerfully that they could say they must have a different person they're trying to imitate or be. We know, it says there, that he gave himself up completely to make her his own, washing her clean of impurity with water and the powerful presence of his word. He's talking about the church, Jesus with the church. He has given himself so that he can Present the church as his radiant bride, unstained, unwrinkled, unblemished, completely free from all impurity, holy and innocent before him. So husbands should care for their wives as if their lives depended on it. I mean, do you just think for a moment, in, in, in church culture, if we operated that way, but then now think of marriages. If us guys would begin to live this way, that we sacrifice our pride, our own preferences for our own desires. Now, I'm, guys, I'm not saying become the doormat in the front of your house where everybody walks on you. But what I'm saying to begin to live like Jesus, because Jesus gave it all. He, he didn't give partial. He didn't have conditions. He gave it all. He was abused by the world, by us. It says, so husbands, you should care for your wives as if your lives depended on it. In the same way, they should care for their own bodies. In other words, some of us guys like to take care of ourselves, but you should be taking care of your bride that way. As you love her, you ultimately are loving a part of yourself. Remember your one flesh. Remember how he could have created Eve from dust, just like he did Adam, right? But he didn't. He chose to create woman out of man. Says no one really hates their own body. He takes care to feed it and love it, just as the anointed takes care of the church, because we are living members of his body. Yes, it's modeled in the Trinity, this idea of sacrifice. Yes, it's modeled in the picture of Jesus extending grace, living fully in this life, here on this earth, and dying for us. Yes, it should be modeled in the church and how we operate one another to sacrifice, but it has its most beautiful moment in a marriage. Grace model sacrifice. 
So now what do we do with all this? What do we do with all that's been talked about? This is, what can I do about this? And maybe just this picture, because we started our series with this picture. And we talked about the illustration of, of God's grace raining down on a life. And remember when you were a kid, how your mom and dad probably said, you know, get your raincoat on or your umbrella. And you as a kid were saying, heck no. I am going out to soak. And I, I think this morning for us is to maybe two, one of two responses. One, have you forgotten the grace given you? Did you forget? Have you forgotten the cost that God himself gave for you? So isn't anything else on this earth worth your full sacrifice? Maybe you forgot. The second, though, some of you may just have never done that. So the story is this man is grown up and he gets a letter from his mom who's passed away. She, she, before she died, she handed it to a friend to hand to him. But let me rewind the tape. You see, this guy despised his mother. He grew to hate her, really for not very good reason, but when he was young, as long as he could remember, his mother had one eye. And his mother, um, as he was growing up and as a young guy, he would t she would take him to school and people would make fun of his mother. And as a young person, that's difficult to handle that you know, bullying in school, and so pretty soon he was just embarrassed about his mom, but that embarrassment didn't turn it up to anger as he was in later in years in his life in high school, and, and remember saying to his mom before he graduated as a senior, I hate you. Stay away from me. You're an embarrassment to me. And his mom would just, she would do everything she could to support her son. Well, as years go on, he's married and he has kids, she actually shows up at the door to see the grandkids. She's not been there ever, never seen them. The girls answer the door, and they're horrified at this old woman that's got one eye. And they scream, and he comes running to the door. He says, how dare you do this? The son says to his mom, how dare you? He says, you just show up like this. You're an embarrassment. You've scared the girls. Don't ever come back. So fast forward, this guy goes to a school reunion when this person hands him a letter. It says, this is from your mom who recently passed. He reluctantly opens the letter. The letter says this. It says, dear son, I love you so much that when you were an infant, you actually lost an eye. And I gave you mine. Gosh, I read, I read that thing. <laughs> It killed me. I read, that, I read that at night at home, and usually this is what happens. I'm like a mess in front of my computer. I don't know what people think, but... Ah. Oh, I gave you my eyes so that you wouldn't have to go through what I did for you. Ah. Oh, that nailed it for me. I said, I have to tell you that. Because if you don't know that kind of grace, you don't know Christ. If you've not been broken like that and recognize your need uh, for a God that loves you that way. So this morning, we have this great privilege as we get led in music. And friends, the Hebrew writer says, from the fruit of your lips, that means 
that you're opening your mouth with no shame to say, as I go to the cross, I'm being reminded again of the sacrifice that God made for me, that unmerited favor. But some of you don't know him. And as Bobby and the guys come up, really, you're going to have a chance, maybe for your first time, and I'll just tell you to go to the, one of these crosses in the room on your own and kneel down. And maybe for the first time, as, you're, as that kid was opening up that letter, you recognize what he's already done for you. And you just say, it just surrender your life. That's it. We have a great God who gives us unlimited grace and calls us to live that out sacrificially for him. He gave it all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your spirit. I know just touching my soul, just to call me to be reminded again of what I quickly forget, how I quickly hold on to my right, to the pattern of this world. God, help me let go. And I pray for those who don't know you this morning that they might, for the first time, understand what it means to have grace, an unmerited favor from heaven called Jesus. In his name, amen.